five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Okay, so Kraft Mac and Cheese had a breakthrough campaign uh, where they could you could send noodles to your friends, and presumably, who likes mac and cheese better than kids, right? I grew up on mac and cheese. Uh, then, as I got older, I discovered Lowry Season Salt, and then I still liked it, but I don't eat it much anymore. And but here's the commercial they they used to to announce this to the world. In these strange times, people are in need of extra comfort. That's why it's always a nice gesture to send nudes, so they know you're thinking of them. Nudes, I mean, not nudes. Yeah, okay. So, uh, 20,000 people sent Kraft Mac and Cheese to friends or kids, but... um, Gee whiz, they pulled this ad. I can't imagine why. Yeah, I can imagine why, and it's kind of disgusting, if you ask me. I didn't even get it. My kids say, Dad, you just don't get jokes. I didn't get that noodles shortened to nudes would be misconstrued as a particular category of selfie, let's just say. Sometimes I wonder what ad people are thinking. Now, there's a good way to alienate your customers, and... That said, let's go into this one. And this one is amazing because it flies absolutely in the face of the legendary Harvard uh, Business School study years and years ago. I would say it was done in the 70s or the 60s that said it's always easier to keep a customer than it is to get a new customer. Always. And of course, that's not true, you know, especially if you're selling. I don't know, a washing machine that, you know, somebody needs every 30 years. You know, you're better off envisioning your customers as a moving parade and, you know, being fairly nice to them. But by the time the next one is needed, you may not even be around. So, you know, there's there's a balance there somewhere. But this, actually, this study, beautiful point. It says one in three customers would ditch a brand after just one bad experience. Now, a really iconic case study that you probably never heard of is Schlitz Brewing. Have you ever heard of Schlitz Brewing? Right, okay. Most of you haven't. But back in the 60s when I was growing up, it was the number one beer brand in America and perhaps the world. It was bigger than Budweiser, it was bigger than Miller, Schlitz. Okay? and iconic Milwaukee beer. But there were some proposed federal regulations that were going to say that you needed to show the ingredients of beer on your on your label. And Schlitz knew that they had some ingredients, just, you know, little trace amounts. They had some ingredients that said uh, that that were preservatives, and they had some ingredients that kept the the head on the beer, you know, the foam, kept the foam a little longer. So it wasn't like 100% pure. Um, and there's been beer fights about this. You know, the Germans successfully banned EU beer from their country, saying that beer in Germany had a much higher caloric content, and that some people lived on it as a staple food and if 
imported beer made inroads in Germany that people might starve to death. I love that story. Anyway, so Schlitz decided before this federal regulation hit, they would experiment with new formulas of Schlitz beer. And they were able to make a wonderful version of Schlitz that had no none of these preservatives and an organic version of the put the head on the beer stuff. And so they decided, why not, instead of testing it, like I always say, test it for a while in a couple of markets, see what happens. But instead of that, they just switched over. They said, well, let's just make all our beer with this new formula. And it turns out that after about six months, which some beer sits around for six months, you know, my beer in my house might, the beer got a little snow globe type flaking in it. Not harmful, totally fine, still tasted fine. But when people poured it out in a glass, it looked terrible. It looked like they were getting poisoned or that somebody had tampered with their beer. And that experience was enough for most Schlitz, lifelong Schlitz drinkers to try other brands. Think about that. Okay? So this study, and this is a study that had an online questionnaire of 10,000 adults in Europe, Middle East, Africa, and conducted by 3GEM. So 10,000 is probably a pretty good story. They found that, and they found that something like uh, another 30-40% would leave if they had two bad experiences. So imagine a second bottle. And I talked with a friend of mine in marketing at Miller, and he said, yeah, that's about right. You know, you mess up the beer once or twice, and I mean one or two bottles in a six-pack, and your customers could be gone forever. Um, and so customers are looking for other things. They're looking for flexible returns, uh, priority of responsive customer support, and 46 favored prominent clear labeling of prices and discounts. Okay, but I just want you to understand that a clear majority will leave you. And I did a study of this for Deluxe Check, business to business, and we found exactly that. No matter how long a customer had been with them, if they had poor customer service, they would lose a significant portion of those customers. Because they, they, they cut their customer support budget for a year and all kinds of customers left. Just think about it. Your best friend comes in one day and, you know, let's say he heard something about you and maybe someone he cares about and pops you in the nose. And, you know, maybe it all turns out to be false. And But how good a friend are you going to be from then on? Not good. Something to think about. Okay, Mark Ritson. Don't blame the CFOs for, getting, for not getting marketing. It's our fault. And this one is, again, something we've been echoing forever. Um, a lot of CMOs and a lot of marketing VPs say, we're not getting the budget we want because of that CFO and the CEO. We say the CFO is making short-term decisions, doesn't understand the value of marketing. Well, 
the CFO's job is to keep costs in line and hopefully give you enough resources to grow the company. But there, because on the on the P&L, I've, I've said this before, on the P&L there's a revenue bar up at the top, just a one-page P&L, and there's expenses. And usually there's a lot of breakout of expenses. <laughs> there's revenue and there's expenses. And at the bottom line, there's profit. The CFO's job is this part, expenses. And you know what shows up in there? Marketing, advertising, big number. One of the biggest numbers on that bottom part. That's just the way it is. Now, here's the question. Let's say the CFO says, we're doing really well. We might have to pay too much taxes. I'll give the marketing guy a little more money. Okay, let's just say that happens. And the marketing guy says, oh, goody, I can do a Super Bowl ad and I can forget to mention our company. But it'll be really entertaining. And we'll put it in there somehow. But we just won't mention it a lot because we don't want to oversell. Let's just say. So all of a sudden, the marketing budget goes up $5 million. But that revenue number doesn't move. What does the CFO think? The CFO thinks that the, that the connection between marketing and revenue is tenuous at best, not causal. He knows if he cuts employees, production will go down, revenue will go down. He also knows if he buys a new machine tool or something that production can go up, revenue can go up, if sales go up, capacity goes up. He understands those operational cost relationships, that they are very causal. What he doesn't understand is why he can increase or decrease the marketing budget and it has very little impact. And that's because... In many companies, it doesn't have much impact. <laughs> Ritson says he got into marketing because it makes enormous amounts of money. And that's true. Now, of course, if the CEO isn't prepared for that growth or the CFO, you can throttle that back. So even when marketing hits a home run, we had clients this spring that, you know, demand was through the roof because they were, you know, online catalog companies, they were still mailing, but their inventory wasn't any, you know, wasn't enough. I told you the story about the fireworks company. The fireworks company said, fireworks are going to be big this year. Our, our suppliers in Wuhan, how can we, and they're shut down, how can we get enough inventory? And so they bought inventory from the companies, the fireworks retailers that were scared and kept shut down probably put out put the competition out of business for the most part and had their best year ever you know so marketing and operations are in, entwined intertwined so rather marketing rather than looking for the next magical communications platform get yourself more broadly tactically exposed and then get upstream to strategy and diagnosis because this is what the proper job looks like, Ritson says. Don't go looking for the magical upstream diagnosis. But we had a case study on the webinar, and it said, essentially, prove your marketing in a laboratory. Direct mail is the perfect laboratory because 
the engagement is high and therefore the causal connections can be isolated. You can isolate causal variables in mail that you cannot with digital and you cannot with mass media because you don't know who's seeing it in those other media. The engagement is so low. So use mail to prove your point. And this is the Lovesack case. With mail, we proved the points over and over. We proved the demand driving capability. <clears throat> we tested and tested in mail. And then we rolled out to digital. And we rolled out to mass media. That was their idea, not mine. I can't take credit for that. But I taught them how we could know something for sure. That's the formula for explosive growth. I don't see any other formula that's possible. Mail teaches and isolates causal variables. Does it make sense to put an, a, a banner ad at County or at Miller Park? Sure, maybe. If you take it out, will you see an impact? No. And that's the trouble. You don't know which half is wasted. In mail, you do. That's my message to the, to, to the millennials. That's my message if you're selling print and mail. Mail is the key to isolating the causal variables, to show cause and effect, and to get your budget the way you want it from the CFO. Use mail to justify marketing, and then roll it out and watch it work.